Today's uh, scripture reading will be in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 28. Um, you can either get it on your phone or you can use the Bibles in front of you or if you have your own personal. But the, the Bible in front of you is on page uh, 1,239 through 1,240. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 28. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire, do not treat prophecies with contempt, test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Welcome back to the end of our series. This is the very last uh, installment, if you will, of our Extraordinary series. I like that name because it just, you know... It's the Extraordinary Series. It's <laughs> and we're called to be extraordinary rather than ordinary. We're called to be different. And we've been looking at a bunch of different ways that we're called to be different. Uh, that The Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Thessalonica almost 2,000 years ago. As he described for these brand new Christians what it looked like to live different than the world around them. And so we found it a challenge for us. Uh, anyone ever see the movie Remember the Titans? It's kind of an old movie reference by now, I guess. But, you know, for some of us, it's, it's current stuff. <laughs> but uh, Remember the Titans. It was a story about two football teams during desegregation times and, and a white football team and a black football team that got merged together, I guess, as their schools got merged together. and, and But the... The storyline just follows these guys as they try to figure out how to become one team uh, and how these coaches are going to bring these guys together when they really don't want to be together. Uh, So it's kind of an interesting thing. On some level, I think we can all identify with that probably because at some point in your life, either you or someone you knew kind of went through a similar thing. I mean, it might not have been desegregation and all that, but... I don't know, when I was in high school, we'd have people that would transfer to our high school from, you know, a school across town. Uh, Maybe their parents moved or something, and they're mad about it. Like, this is not my school. You know, they just walk around with this kind of chip on their shoulder. I'm not going to make any friends here. I don't want to be friends with anybody here. I'm just, you know, going to bide my time, and after school, I'll hang out with my real friends from my real school. Can't believe my parents did this to me. (laughs) You know, that whole mindset. Uh, you know, and you see it in professional sports a little bit sometimes when some guy gets traded 
and he had all of his buddies on his old team and now he's on this new team and they've got a whole different culture and he's not sure he wants to be there and there's been players who have been drafted onto teams that they didn't want to be on so they just refused to play until they trade them to someone else I mean on some level we can all identify with that remember the Titans story right of being thrust into something where you're not sure you really fit in you're not really sure you want to be there uh, where you're not really sure you want to be a part of that particular tribe that particular people they're not your people and on some level I think everyone experiences that when they come to the church when they come to Christ now some of us we grew up in the church and this is kind of all we ever knew but for people uh, who maybe show up for the first time it can be a little daunting. The people around here are a little different you know, than maybe the people you're used to. Uh, we even experience this as Christians when we change churches or move you know, across state lines or something. We have to find a new church and we start going and we're like, mm, I don't, these don't feel like my people. You know? <laughs> this doesn't feel like my tribe. Uh, so we all kind of can identify with that. And, and the thing that I think we're going to discover today as we study this last bit of the letter to the Christians in Thessalonica is, is going to be really hard for some of us to swallow both for some of us that have been coming to church for a long time and, and definitely for some who maybe this is all kind of new in some way in fact you know, some of our youth right now uh, this is kind of new to them and we had a conversation about this subject just a few Wednesday nights back where some of them were pretty honest about, no, <laughs> not going to do that. The price is too high, the cost is too high. There's a cost to following Jesus, right? There's a cost to being a disciple. And sometimes it can feel like the cost is too high. It's not worth it. And I've got a feeling that some folks, this message today may feel that way a little bit. So I'm praying for you as we go and uh, and hopefully all of us will be challenged to be ordinary people but to be living in an extraordinary way and that we would be willing to count the cost that it takes to do that now the letter that we've been studying uh, if you know we've spaced this out over weeks but if you just read first Thessalonians and you pick up at at chapter 4 where Paul starts talking about uh, he kind of shifts gears from the prayer that he prays for these guys, from the, uh, his heart for them, his love for them, and he starts talking about this extraordinary way and the call to be different. If you just read through that, I mean, they're pretty short chapters, chapter 4 and 5, and it feels like rapid fire. You know, it's like, uh, you know, with your sexuality, you need to be different. With your work and your money, you need to be different. In your grief, you need to be different. And your hope, you need to be different, you know, make each day count. All these things that we've spaced out, you know, a week at a time, come pretty fast, you think, until you get to this passage today. And then he's like, bam, 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 <laughs> just thing after thing after thing. Some of them, it's like four words, do this, and then another four words, do that, do this, do this, and they're all kind of, it seems, maybe disjointed, unrelated. Uh, what I believe he's doing here is teaching some things that they could memorize, 
that you know, from what I've read, they would use things that would be easy to memorize so that they could keep it with them because they didn't have a New Testament that they could read every day to remind themselves of how the Jesus way worked. Uh, and to be honest, some of us, all of us, would do well to probably memorize some things like this and keep them with us. And so you may want to take this passage we read just a few moments ago with the, and you've got, you know, you got it in your bulletin if you need to reference it later. You may want to go back and work on memorizing parts of that. Because what this does is it helps you come to, and it helps help them, doubtless, come to terms with and, and understand better and remember day to day some of the ways that we're called to be different, that our values and our culture are different. Um, you know, when you're learning a language, whether you are, uh, you know, born here and you still kind of have to take English, right? And, and they teach you things like little rules to remember. Now, I still use some of them, like I before E, except after C, right? Um, that one still comes in handy sometimes, although there's exceptions to every stinking rule in English. So... Uh, but anyway, you know, rules like that. Or if you try to learn a foreign language, these things come in really handy. Uh, you know, I grew up in New Mexico. I was kind of a minority. And there was a lot of Spanish speaking going on where I grew up. And not only that, but I took Spanish. So you would think <laughs> that I would be able to speak Spanish pretty well, but no. Uh, but I do still remember some of the rules and things, uh, you know, like how to conjugate verbs like if you uh, want to say you know, the, the word to love is amar and if you want to change that to say I love you would say amo instead of amar if you want to change it to say you love you'd say amas instead of amar if you wanted to say this is my favorite one if you wanted to say we love it would be amamos now I know you want to say amamos and you can go ahead don't be shy Amamos. <laughs> you know, but whatever verb you're using, you just tack those endings on to change it to different things. And so you memorize those rules. And then when you're trying to figure out what to write, you can kind of work out, okay, that I do this with that word to make it this. But do you think that any fluent Spanish speaker, or especially someone who grew up speaking Spanish, ever stops mid-sentence and thinks, now how do I conjugate that for we love. <laughs> you know, is that almost or no, they don't, right? They just rattle it off, they get it. But when you're trying to learn a new language, it helps to have some rules that you can think back on. How does this work again? How do I speak this? And as you get immersed in it, uh, you know, I was surprised how much of my little limited Spanish knowledge came back to me while I was spent a week in Guatemala. You know, by the end of the week, just from asking people and hearing it all day, every day, uh, you know, I, I remembered stuff that I had no idea that I'd learned. <laughs> you know, but it just kind of came back. So I can imagine that if you were studying it and living around it like that, that you could pick it up pretty fast. Even someone as uh, language challenged as myself. Okay, what does that have to do with this? When we come to Christ, it's a whole new culture, a whole new language to learn, in a sense. When you come to Christ, there's a new family. 
that you join. And they have a whole different set of values. And you show up for the first time in a small group meeting or a church setting, and it almost sounds like they're speaking Greek. Like they're speaking some foreign language. They act different. They talk different. They look different. Maybe not as different as they should (laughs) sometimes. But it's just different. And you might feel a little uncomfortable. Now, for these first Christians in Thessalonica, they weren't really joining something. They were it in that community. The gospel had never been there before. But doubtless there were some of them who had a Jewish background that understood some of the laws of God and and some of them had a pagan background that did not. And, And so doubtless there was still, while there was a learning curve for everyone, it was probably steeper for some than for others. And we experienced that today. Some of us come out of homes that even if they didn't go to church, you know, there were Christian morals and things in place that we kind of grew up with. And so, you know, you come to church, you come to Christ later, and, you know, you can kind of pick up the language pretty easily because you have a lot of that instilled in you. But then there's others who come from a completely different background, and it's completely foreign to them. It's like learning a new language. And so things like this come in handy. You can imagine the Apostle Paul writing to these brand new believers who are trying to pick up a new language and there's not even really a fluent speaker there. So here's his Spanish lesson to them. (laughs) Here's his foreign language lesson to them. Boom, 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 boom. Rattles a bunch of stuff off. Memorize this. This will help you pick it up. This will help you figure out what it's like to live in this community that you've now joined, this family you've now joined, this tribe that you've now joined. Because your people used to be those people that worshipped at the pagan temple. Your people used to be those people who were self-righteous. And now your people are these people in Christ. Here's how you speak the language. And so... I'm not going to, we're just going to kind of highlight some stuff here the best we can. So the first thing off the top, first verse, he basically said, take care of your leaders. And thank you for taking care of your leaders. Thank you for taking care of me and my family. Uh, A lot of pastors don't have it as good as we do with a loving and caring family like y'all. And we thank you. He said, work together. That's summing up a whole bunch of little things he rattled off real fast that could all be grouped under that title of work together. You know, be unified in your efforts. Make sure that you're being peacemakers instead of starting fights. Make sure that you are uh, encouraging those of you who are feeling down at that time. You know, if there's someone who's weak, be strong for them. Come alongside them and be their strength. You know, if someone does something wrong, to you, be patient and forgiving. Don't ever repay an evil with evil. You know, stop trying to get back at each other. And just love each other. Be patient with those who you find annoying. <laughs> There's some in this family, just like in every family on planet Earth, right? There's, and if you can't think of one, it might be you. Just saying. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's possible. So we work together. And he says, you know, he kind of concludes that by saying, do good. Like, do good to each other. Think of good things to do for each other. And then I love how he says, it's like a kind of an afterthought, like, well, for that matter, just do good to everyone. <laughs> you know? Like, we should be doing good to each other and for each other, and then while we're at it, just go ahead and, you know, don't be stingy with it. Just be good to everybody that you run into. That's who we are. That's how we work. Then he just goes down this list that seem, like I say, unrelated, but they're kind of like I before E except after C. Things worth memorizing and remembering because this is what we are supposed to be like. This is what Christian community is supposed to look like. Rejoicing always. We shouldn't be a sad bunch of looking faces. Right? When people walk in here, there ought to be like a... I hate to use the word positive energy because it sounds new agey or something. But, you know, there ought to be a sense of joy. Uh, of uh, Just a positive vibe in the room when someone walks in here. Not like a, uh, here we are again, you know. Sing another song. <laughs> That's not what we want to send off. That's No, we are the people that rejoice always. Even in tough times, even in hard times, even when there's things to be concerned about, even when there's heartache that we're feeling, there's also a measure of joy. And just thankfulness, as we'll get to. Pray continually. Like, just make prayer a part of what we do. Do you know that it's okay pray with each other when there's no one at the microphone did you know that if you run into a friend in your circle or in the foyer or in these aisles as we're getting ready to start church or as we start to leave and you know that they're going through a hard time that it's okay to stop and just say a prayer for them right there did you know that when you hear about some kind of tragedy that's happened or something comes over the prayer chain to you that it's alright to stop right then with whoever you're with or whatever family member you're with and pray together it's okay we can do that we should do that it's part of who we are we are people who pray all the time not just at we pray nights and not just in church services and not just in classes or circles but something that we just do all the time we give thanks in all circumstances do you remember what their circumstances were? They were facing such intense persecution for their faith that they sent the Apostle Paul running because they were feared for his life. Right? Paul writes back to them in the midst of their suffering and tells them, give thanks in all circumstances. So we can be pretty confident he means all circumstances. As rough a circumstances as you can get. He doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. He doesn't say, oh, thank you that my life was ruined today. <laughs> you know, it was more of a, even when your life is ruined today, there's something you can be thankful for. We're to be a people who are grateful. And we're to be a people who are looking for what God's up to, for what He's saying in this generation, for what He's doing in this generation, for what He's doing in this church, for what He's doing and wants to do in our community. 
And if it's his voice, we're supposed to embrace it. And if it's not, we're supposed to reject it. And for that matter, anything evil, we're supposed to reject. How do we know? How do we know if it's God's? How do we know if it's evil? How do we know if it's somewhere in the middle? Uh, Well, Scripture and prayer are a good place to start. And I would also encourage you, you know, hopefully a lot of you already signed up for that conference with Todd Brashler, but that's one of the big, that's the big point of his conference, is learning to discern and hear from God and discern what's God, what's not God. And uh, so if you haven't had a chance to sign up for that, uh, some of our sister churches that are partnering with us are needing a little bit more time this week. So if you can get something to me ASAP, then we'd love to have you be a part of that. And I think there's still some forms out in the foyer. But in all these things, he's describing what Christian culture is supposed to look like. The language we're supposed to speak, in a sense. Some rules to remember as you start to learn this new thing, or if you want to grow and become more fluent in this language. Here's some things to keep in mind. And the thing about a new language or a new culture is it's not something you do alone, is it? If we were all designed to live alone, then we would... uh, not have a need for language. (laughs) We could just think our thoughts in whatever language we wanted in our brains, right? We wouldn't need... That's that's for communicating with others. And culture is not something that you create by yourself either. It's something that's created corporately. And so we might sum this whole crazy rapid-fire rules-to-live-by thing up by saying that the extraordinary way is something that people pursue together. This is something that people pursue together. One of the biggest mistakes that we make as Christians in America, I'm convinced, is we read our New Testaments with the, through the lens of what is this saying to me individually? When these were letters that were written to churches corporately. Nine times out of ten, when it says you, it means y'all. And that's why the Bible should have been translated by Southerners. This is something we're supposed to pursue together. This is what our culture is supposed to look like. And you can't learn to speak the language. It's very hard to learn to speak the language if you're not immersed in a group of people also learning or also speaking that language. Anyone would tell you that if you want to learn a foreign language, the fastest way to do it is to travel somewhere where that's all they speak. Study it and hear it day in and day out. It's the fastest and most effective way to learn a new language. If you want to learn how to speak Christian, if you want to learn how to speak Jesus style, the fastest way to do that is to study it while you're living in Christian community with people who are also learning to speak it more and more fluently. Good luck trying to learn this language while you're still mostly hanging out with a tribe that speaks a whole different language. That speaks exclusively the language you used to speak. 
it's nearly impossible. Very rarely does it happen. Extraordinary way, something people pursue together. So what do we do with this? These rules. The first thing I want to ask you is, who would you say are your people? If you're honest. Are these your people? I see some of you looking around. You're like, I don't know if I would call these people my people. (laughs) Who are your people? Who's your tribe? See, sometimes, a a lot of times, even for those of us who, you know, we've been Christians maybe our whole lives or whatever, church is something that we check off our calendar each week. This is our thing that we go to, our thing that we do. Uh, You know, this is something to attend, an event. But the church was supposed to be your tribe, your people. We're supposed to be the family. Your, Your primary interaction group, if you will. If you don't like us, find some other Christians. But, <laughs> but we'd love you to stick around. The Apostle Paul is not even the most, you know, intense on this subject. This is Jesus by far, the most radical teaching on this. He goes more radical than, than I feel comfortable going. He says one time, one time they came to him. And you've got to remember, this is his culture. Their culture was extremely family-oriented. It, family was everything. Your immediate family, and even extended family, living under one roof more often than not, and just very connected. Nothing trumped family. In that culture, they came to him and said, Jesus, your family is waiting for you outside. They need to talk to you. He looked at him and he said, This is my family. Pointing at his disciples. These are my brothers and sisters, my mother and father. That's not Jesus demoting the importance of family, that's Jesus elevating the importance of Christian community. He didn't just say that. There's multiple recordings of him talking about how this, his believers, that's family that trumps every other family. And he had to because in each family there would be those who would reject Jesus and those who would accept Jesus. They couldn't hang on to their family and hang on to Jesus It wasn't a halfway sort of thing. If you had to pick between your family and Jesus, pick Jesus. For us today, it's just a reminder that when we come to Christ, we come into a new family. There's brothers, there's sisters, there's mothers, there's fathers, there's children in the faith. They're your people now. 
We have a unique language, a way that we're supposed to be extraordinary and different, right? We've talked about all the different ways that that plays out throughout this series. But it can't really happen alone. It's something we do and pursue together. Now you may be blessed and have a family that's part of your people too. Or you may not. You may be blessed and have your network of friends, immediate friends, closest friends, who are also in the family of Christ, whether they attend here or not, and you're blessed. But if you find yourself with your tribe, your people, the people that have the most influence in your life, and that you invest the most time in, and they invest the most time in you, and your priority is them, and they are not following Christ, then you're trying to speak a language in a foreign culture that doesn't know that language. You're trying to learn to speak Jesus amongst people who don't even want to speak Jesus, who aren't interested. They're not your people. And this is why I say this one is one of the hardest messages. I think it was one of the hardest things for many of Jesus' early followers too. Think about it. People who literally had to give up immediate family. Who refused to accept Jesus. Because they believed that Jesus was who he said he was. There's a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to following Christ. And some people for generations and generations from the time of Jesus himself walking on this planet, there have been people who said, the cost is too much. I'm not giving up my people. (laughs) But there's also been those who said, the benefits are too great. I'll give up my people in hopes that they'll become my people again. I'll live my life in such a way. The call to be different includes being a part of a different tribe. And it's not just that we hang out together. What we do when we're together matters too, right? I mean, if we just sit around and talk about the weather, or just sit around and talk about uh, you know, who won and who lost in football the day before... If we just do potlucks every now and again and rave about the chocolate cake, you know, there's got to be something more. We've got to be doing something. We've got to be speaking the language, right? We've got to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. All those things that we just checked off, you know, the taking care of your leaders, working together, rejoicing always, praying continually, giving thanks in all circumstances, looking for what God's up to and rejecting what's evil. If we get together and we, and we gorge on food or we spend more than we have or we act in ways that don't look very Christ-like and we never call each other out on those things and in fact we do them together then we're no different than any other tribe on earth. But if we come together and we focus 
on how we can speak the language, how we can reach a community that needs to be reached, how we can love one another well, how we can encourage each other in tough times, how we can actually pursue this way together. That's one thing I love about circles and the way that you've responded to uh, this new ministry we put together and, and uh, we're over, uh, we're averaging over 90%, somewhere around 92, 93% of our Sunday attendance in circles. And when you consider that most weeks there's folks from out of town or there's guests who, you know, aren't going to be plugged into one because they're just here for one week or whatever the case is or people who are sick or, you know, all those things that come up, that's just really close to 100%. And that's incredible. And hopefully you're experiencing in your circle what our new circle is starting to experience over the last few weeks as we try to talk, you know, bounce off of maybe what we talk about in, in the sermon. But to go further with it, we've talked about things like, uh, you know, the need to limit technology in our lives so that it doesn't rob us of relationships right in front of us. We've talked about uh, doubts that we've struggled with. We've talked about the need for, uh, you know, even if we're not extroverted, of trying to make eye contact with people and, and even touch and things that show people that we listen and we care and uh, not just in the church, but to everyone. You know, as we've wrestled with what does it mean to follow Jesus, we've talked about these sorts of things and hopefully you're talking about them too. And as we talk about these things, maybe we'll grow deeper in our faith together, deeper in our relationships with each other, so that when the hardest times come, we'll have a tribe, we'll have a people, we'll have that network in Christ to lean on. I want to paint just a picture for you. What does this look like? You know, if we all do this, what would it end up looking like? If this was your people, and we all had that mentality, if we all learned to be patient with one another, to put up with each other's faults, if we all learned to rejoice continually together, to do good to others together, to pursue Jesus together, what would it look like? I think that our families would be healthier places. I think there'd be less brokenness. I think our bodies would be healthier places as we learn to see them as a temple of the Holy Spirit and treat them with the respect that Jesus expects us to treat them with instead of just doing to them what our culture does to them. I think there'd be very few of us who don't have enough and more of us that even though we still live pretty frugally, maybe even more frugally than ever, we have more to give away than ever. I think that if we pursued this together faithfully, that over time, you know, our priorities would change and the way we spend our time would change. I think that people in our community would be affected by it and I don't know how many of them but probably a lot of them would be lifted out of cycles of poverty that go on and on from generation to generation. 
would find a better way as well. You could probably think of other things that, man, if we really pursued this together, if we really learned the language together, if this became your tribe and we really acted like this is our family and we bought into the things and the values that Jesus said belong to his family, how that might affect our personal lives, our family's lives, our life as a church and the community around us as well. Dream about it. I want to close this message and in fact this series by reading to you the very last words. We read through uh, verse 22. I'm going to take you all the way through verse 28 in the close of this letter because it is a letter that was written to real people at a real time and place. We're reading someone else's letter. And it's been powerful for us. And maybe we can make this prayer our own as well. That the Apostle Paul prayed for them. He said, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. And I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We're an ordinary people, but we're called to an extraordinary way. And when people look at us, may they see something radically different in the best possible way. Jesus didn't die and raise from the dead so that we could go on the same way we'd always gone on until we get to heaven. He died and rose again to set you free from those chains that had you down so that you can live a new and better way Let's do it together. And if you're here with us and this hasn't been your tribe ever, or at least not in a long time, join us. Put your faith in Christ. Become part of this family. We're not so bad once you get to know us. <laughs>